Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Camp Wire podcast. I'm so excited to bring you this conversation. We are joined by Jonah Berger, who is just, you're going to absolutely love him. He's the best. Jonah, Masters in Special Ed, is the National Youth Programs Manager for the Charcot Marie Tooth Association, or CMTA, and Director of CMTA Camp Footprint. Serving Youth with CMT. He is the author of He Walks Like a Cowboy and The Strangest of Places and a national motivational speaker, father, husband, drummer, and community creator. Jonah grew up in a camp and also met his wife at camp, which I want to learn more about that later. But we're also joined by the one and only Alicia Dannenberg, and she is ACA's Director of Educational Content. And today we are talking about celebrating differences in camp. So Jonah, Alicia, welcome to the Camp Wire Podcast. Thank you all so much for being here today. Thank you, my friend. Nice to be here. Hi, everyone. So Jonah. I want to get back to the story of um, how you met your wife at camp. But I guess before that, tell us a bit more about your background, your camp background, and what led you to the work that you're doing today. A nice, simple question to get us started, right? No problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Let's see if I can summate for you. I I grew up in camp. I was a camp baby, quite literally. I was, I was one when my... Uh, parents first brought me to camp, so I was absorbing camp before I was aware of it. And my father was a camp director for 49 years. He's still alive, but he's retired. And my mom, growing up at, at the camp that my dad spent most of his career at, was the girls' head counselor. And so life in the Berger family was camp in the summer. And thank God. I mean, I hated it, ironically, at first, when I was old enough to start going to my dad's sleepaway camp. It was a six-week overnight camp in Maryland, and I wanted nothing to do with it because I was very attached to my parents. And in camp, I couldn't be with my parents. And knowing that my parents were at camp, but I couldn't see them, was torturous to me. Like, the one thing that makes a, a homesick kid calm down is that they know whether they admit it or not, that their parents aren't there and they're not coming to get them. So that helps them to kind of embrace the reality. My parents were on property, but I couldn't see them. And so I hated camp for years until Roger Mermelstein came along. He was my counselor that changed it all and brought me in and showed me the ways of how camp could be the coolest place on earth in the opposite way that high school can be the coolest place on earth. And that was it for me. I I thrived for the rest of my camper years post Roger. I um, went on to get a master's in special education, and then it was pretty much all camp from then on out. I I am currently Camp Footprint is the eighth camp that I've directed, and in my years I've done a couple in Maryland. I did four different camps in my twenty years in Colorado, and then moved to Michigan um, four years ago and have been doing Camp Footprint. This will be our ninth year. Um, the camp in Colorado is when one day, it was an Easter Seals camp uh, right outside of Denver. And I come out of my office one day to welcome a, a van full of AmeriCorps volunteers who I had applied to get a team to spend the summer with us. And 10 of them got out of the van and I come out with my free hugs t-shirt on with my arms wide open going, all right, y'all, welcome to camp. I'm a hugger. You might as well get used to it who wants one and nine out of ten of them looked at me like I was crazy and one of them this tall one in the back um 
put her arms out and said, I'll take a hug. And that was when I met Megan, who went on to become my wife three years later, four years later. Um, so, and the best part of that story is that my parents met uh, the same way. They met in camp. My dad was a camp director. My mom was a counselor at his camp. Um, so two generations of burger men have found the woman of their dreams where they ought to in summer camp. I thought you were about to say that they met because your dad was wearing a free hugs t-shirt. No, it wasn't <laughs> that similar. I, I went more of a hippie route than my dad did. He probably I love it. Down, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. Are we are we adapting this podcast to be, um, you know, how to find your future? Um, oh, I could now? do a whole thing on that. Make no mistake about it. Dating and yes. camp, how to, <laughs> no problem. Yeah, nope. you and you both were in the right place at the right time. And same with your parents having that legacy. So yep. people out there who are listening, there is hope out there for you <laughs> to find love. And it could be at summer camp. Well, and she is, she is, um, we have a 17 year age difference. And so I was 44 when I got married. And so old by comparison. And yet she and I, about two months into our dating, took an emotional age quiz and she scored a 38 and I scored a 23. So I'm like this like oh, child yeah. and she is a her favorite show is Golden Girls. So she's just this old soul and we kind of meet in the middle. But like everything great in my life, it happened. It came in weird packaging and my wife is no different. That's for mm -hmm. sure. That's wonderful. Um, and to tell us a little bit now to dive in about the recent article that you wrote for Camping Magazine, and also, I got to throw it out there too, you've done a webinar for us, you are a keynote speaker, and you were at the Michigan Fall Gathering this past year, shout out to all of the Michigan folks, but for those that are just getting to meet you today, Jonah, let's talk a little bit more about the article that you wrote, Living on a Prayer, The Celebration mm -hmm. of Difference in Camp and where you talk about the state of diversity amongst summer camps and youth programs. Can you talk a little bit more about what inspired you to write this piece? Uh, yeah, I absolutely can. I, I adore everything that I'm getting to do with the ACA because I just think the ACA is so amazing. But for so long, I've been so busy doing my own camps that it, it just never really occurred to me to tap into the larger community. And as soon as I did, I was in love with the ACA and I went to my first national conference three years ago and it literally blew my mind apart and um, I got to present last year I'll be presenting again this year um, a breakout session so um, you know I have I have a disability called CMT Charcot Marie Tooth the three doctors who first discovered what I have were Dr. Charcot, Dr. Marie and Dr. Tooth all French and um, it affects my balance, my hands, it's peripheral neuropathy. So from elbows to fingers and knees to toes. And so by nature of having a disability myself, inclusion became a very personal thing at a very young age. And I was lucky for two reasons. Number one, I have a mother who has it as well and taught me the ways of not being ashamed of anything about yourself and learning to share it with others and being open. And, you know, she would always, people would be looking at her leg braces. She and I both wear leg braces in a store and she'd say, do you want to know why I wear these? Like she would reach out and give them the information they were clearly wanting and it had every right to want. And so I learned how to be inclusive, um, again, very young. And when the second thing that I have to thank for my attitude is camp, is that 
camp is so different than our normal culture in that we are submersed with each other. You can't get in your car and drive away from camp. You Well, in theory, you can't uh, let issues fester. You have to deal with them in order to have a harmonious camp situation. And that, to me, the between my mom and, and camp made this kind of perfect storm of someone who understands it from the trenches, but also can communicate it to others. And so that's what I've done with the majority of my career. Most of the camps I've directed have been camps for um, kids with disabilities of one sort or another. And I guess the longer I've spoke, you know, to groups nationally and the longer I've been a camp director, the more the less tolerance I think I have for the pace to which change truly happens in general culture. And I think that's good. I think most people who make difference are ones who are impatient and I am prime impatient. And so I started leaning at, a again, a young professional age on camp and on the staff I was hiring and the kids I was working with to be that kind of lab to test these theories out with and see how things go when you push back on culture a little bit. And it was nothing but amazing every time. So. Can I can I ask a follow up on that? Too? Yeah. As someone who also um, tirelessly works towards change and has learned so much about how we can make an impact um, and, and about oneself too, right? The journey mm -hmm. of learning about yourself is really important when you're talking about diversity and inclusion. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about maybe some advice or um, you know, uh, words that you would give someone listening in that says, yeah, I, I feel that way too. What would you say to someone that also wants to make change? What, how would you inspire them to continue to make change in the space that they're working in? It's a great question. Um, don't take no for an answer. If you know something is right and you know something needs to be, you go at it head on. You go at it professionally and with with love in your heart, of course. You can't just, you know, be a bull in a china shop. But I do believe that you have to show that, no, this is what needs to happen. You have to have proof ready to go because there, for every person who's ready for change, there's 10 who are not. And so every time I would see in uh, the early days of Camp Footprint, my current camp, again, I'm going into our ninth summer, the first handful of years when when a kid's life was changed because they were exposed to an inclusive environment, I got quotes from them. I got quotes from their parents. I wrote about it for the CMTA newsletter. Anything I could do to shed light on the first pieces of evidence that something was good um, was helpful in my in my case. And I, I'm lucky in that I work for an organization, at least now, that is completely on board and very much interested in inclusion by nature. So I have not had to you know, push for a whole lot at the CMTA because they're they're amazing. They get it. But there have been camps in the past where I've had to push very hard and where I've been pushed back very hard of like, no, there's a way we do things here and not necessarily blatantly exclusive, but not at all embracing of the way of the world and the the direction things are going. And so, um, yeah, I just think you have to gut check yourself pick your battles but if you believe it with your soul fight with your soul and make the change and then show how that changes is impacting your camp um and then anyone arguing that's that's their problem not yours 
I also want to say thank you for giving me permission to be impatient. You're so welcome. I'm feeling impatient. I'm going to be like, no, I'm pushing for change. Like, yes, change right now. <laughs> you'd like permission to be disorganized or controlling. You can call me anytime, my friend. I will give yes. blanket permissions. <laughs> well, I would like to kind of piggyback off of that and read a um, the opening snippet from your article and then ask a question um, right along those lines. So at the start of the article, you write, we've made some amazing progress with regard to diversity in our camp populations, race, socioeconomic status, gender identity, nationality, physical ability, mental ability, and more. And while this progress is wonderful, it does not live up to the truest potential of coexistence. To you, Jonah, what is the truest potential of coexistence and what does that look like? Whew. Okay, so in thinking about this, I think it's the difference between on paper and alive in action. So I think, and I'll preface this by saying I don't want to minimize the actual changes that have occurred in our culture with a lot of programs, especially in the camp world. I think camps are, are one of the entities in our culture that are leading the way, quite honestly. But I don't want us to rest on our laurels and I don't want us to celebrate too much because I feel like a good amount of the change that we're seeing as a culture is on paper, is, you know, organizations and companies having diversity statements and diversity policies and procedures and all of these things are necessary, all of these things are great, and all of these things packed together equal about 40% in my opinion, of the 100% that we need to get to. And I have, in my own experience, and I know a lot of people listening have probably had a similar experience, I have tasted 70 to 90%, um, maybe not that high, but 70 to 85% um, when it's done well, when it's done right, and when the winds of the world align to um, create these moments that make you see, oh, this, this, can literally change lives if we do it correctly. So back to the original question, my big challenge to myself, much less to anyone listening or anyone I come in contact with, is to um, create the policies and procedures, create the statements, create the culture on paper, but don't ever stop there. Keep going and make it personal. Um, and by that, and we'll talk about this a couple times, but, you know, being the director at my camp, it starts with me. And so I'm always very open about my challenges, about my needs. I'll come out of my cabin sometimes with a button up shirt for the dance, unbuttoned and find the first person I can find with normal hands and say, button me like, I don't care. And, and that when kids see the director doing that, it makes them feel more comfortable to relax in a way that they don't realize they're not relaxing in their normal lives. And, you know, we we celebrate difference at our camp when someone is kind to someone else around something that challenges them. We jump on the radio and announce it and you hear calls back on the radio all the time of like, great job, man. That is awesome. That's the way we do it at Footprint. Like living the things that are written so nicely on the paper um, and never stopping, working with your kids of color, working with your transgender campers, working with anyone who's got a difference in your program to say, how are we doing? How's it feeling? We had a counselor from South Africa last year and she was a woman of color and she was amazing and brought a lot to the table. And I was in a golf cart with her on one of the last days of camp. And I said, 
give it to me straight. How are we? Like, would you say we're doing well? Would you say there's more to do? She she gave a mixed review, but said compared to a lot that I've seen, you're trying, you're on it. You're like heading in the right direction. So being open to feedback, being open to your own uh, comforts and discomforts, I, I don't know why, but the gender milieu is, is the first thing that comes down the pike in my life, and I'm 51, that I don't have my arms all the way around yet. I'm not completely comfortable with the idea of gender fluidity, and I know that about myself, and not only am I not running from that discomfort, I am running towards anyone in camp, counselor or camper, who might be able to shed some light for me. I talk to them. I admit to them I'm not fully comfortable yet. And they are 99% completely welcoming to me and helpful and happy to, you know, ease my discomfort and help me to gain more knowledge, more of a strong base. So, you know, putting yourself in check, but also, again, if I were to boil it down, don't just have diversity or inclusion in your program on paper. Have it any way that you possibly can living at your program. So well said. And, and as we've said before, starting from within diversity, being your own journey of oneself and learning more about yourself and leaning into those places of discomfort. Those are feelings that are, aren't okay to have and coming to a safe space like camp um, to begin to learn more about how you can better yourself I also know and think that you will then have a greater impact on the community of whom you serve, right? No question. No question. I love coming on the podcast because I get to step up on my soapbox a little bit and then I get to come down and I get to- Why do you think I'm a national people. speaker? I love I love soapboxing, but as long as right? it's a good soapbox, like, right. I can talk all day about topics like this, man. Well, I, I know you're going to be um, excited to share about this next question, too, because I, we've talked about it before on the side, but you shared two beautiful stories in your article about growing up in camp with a disability and how your peers showed kindness and compassion. Can you share a little bit about those memories and moments that you have that shaped your view on camp culture and community? Yeah, absolutely. So this is, these are both stories from my first book, um, He Walks Like a Cowboy, and it's tracing my life with a disability, and this chapter is called X-Ray Vision, and X-Ray Vision because um, one of the gifts, my mom taught me early to look for the gifts in your challenges. I'm a big believer in that because there are so many of them if you are willing to look. It's like this whole gratitude thing. Once you start thinking along the lines of gratitude, you become full of gratitude. It's like, it's a cool kind of trick of the mind that way. Um, but x-ray vision, because one of the gifts of my disability is that I get to see the true heart of people. And the two people that I wrote about, Jason Kahn and Brant Lewis, both good friends of mine in camp, both dudes dudes, especially Brant, like, good looking, knew it, bros in camp. And yet, especially with Brandt, you wouldn't have been the first in line to say, those are the guys who are going to change Jonah's life with the way that they treat him and his disability. I was still young when both of these stories happened and still very wear long pants so that no one could see my thin legs or my leg braces when that came about. Um, if I stumbled, I would try so hard to be like, no one saw, no one saw. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm still normal, right? <laughs> 
and no friends to that point. Jason Kahn was my best friend at the time, and it, I was 15 years old. No friends had ever talked to me about my disability because I never talked about it. And yet one day we were sitting on a field at camp, just chilling and talking. And out of nowhere, he was sitting about two feet behind me. We're both looking at this lake. And he said, so what's up with your legs? Simple as that. One little question. But I don't know why, because it was Jason. He had earned all kinds of trust up to that point. I just told him. I, I told him I have a disability. I told him it's going to get worse over time. Told him how it affects me. And after a while, I realized that Jason wasn't speaking back. And I turned around and Jason was crying. This 15-year-old dude's dude uh, had tears in his eyes. And that moment is permanent in my soul because it reminded me, don't ever discount your ability to affect someone else. Don't ever write someone off as incapable of being able to affect someone else because sometimes it's the people you least think who make the most change for good. And that's that's Brant Lewis. Brant um, was just a prick. I mean, I love him. He's a friend of mine to this day. But back then he was like he was a lifeguard and he just liked to like smooch as many girls as he could. And he was just that guy. Right. And yet every night we the counselors would go into town to a local bar. If you weren't on duty, this was the 80s. But the rest of the staff could go to the local bar and have a drink just to unwind and um, every year or every night we would walk up this long hill and then there was a field you had to walk across to get to where the cars were parked. So everyone's walking up the hill together. This field, we called it the mine field because it was overgrown with tall grass, but it had a bunch of divots in it. I don't know what was going on in this field, but it, it was filled with potholes, but you couldn't see the potholes because of the overgrown grass. So it freaked me out every night we had to walk across it. I would get to the edge. Everyone else, all my normal footed friends would just keep on walking and laughing and talking and stumbling their way through. And I would be like, yeah, great, here we go. Like, so nervous. And who's the one person out of a staff of 40 or 50 people who were heading to the cars that night who always, when he and I were in the group together, would find his way right in front of me, right before the field, and keep walking without ever looking back, but reach his hand behind him. But Brant Lewis, that's who did it. None of my so-called good-hearted friends and dear souls that I'd known for years. It was Brant, the cocky guy who knew what needed to be done and did it without ever asking me, without ever looking at me or saying a word. But if I stumbled, I could grab Brant's hand and be okay. And man, that taught me, again, don't always judge people by the outside. Judge them by their true heart. And I'm fortunate because I have a thing that allows me to see through the layers that people put on and I can just see their heart. And that's why at 51, I'm, I call Brant Lewis and Jason Kahn good friends because they're the best of the best. I love those stories so much. They're so heartwarming and you're right. They're very much like faith in humanity restored. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's exactly yeah. right. Uh, okay. So in your work, and within this article, you also outline the trinity of inclusive camp success, which camps can use when working on building a diverse and inclusive environment. So let's pivot just a hair and take a look at each of them, starting with seek the positives in difference. Tell us about that. So same thing. Look at our culture right now. We are rampant with fear of that which is different, fear of the unknown. 
and way past fear, blatant all-out judgment of that which we don't know and understand. And, you know, there's there's just a lot of leadership that's encouraging that on both sides of the aisle. Like, I'm not getting political. I just think that politicians as a whole are not stepping up to the plate. In fact, they're they're causing a lot of it. But we as people need to take ownership of our own culture as well. And I just feel like it's so um, backwards the way that we're doing it. And so I, in my own personal life, I love when I come across someone who is different than me, because to me, that's an opportunity to learn, to make myself more grounded in knowledge. Ignorance, by definition, is literally the lack of information. It's not necessarily a bad thing. We can't blame people for lack of information. You can blame them for not seeking to gain that information. And we have to blame ourselves for not being ready to teach. Like one of the things that comes with my disability, in my opinion, based on my mom's teachings, is I have the opportunity to teach and I have the responsibility to teach. Do I have to live up to that? No, but I love living up to that because I don't want someone else teaching about my life. I want me to teach. I want me to be the one to tell you what it's like to have a disability, not some book. So I, I do the same thing with others. I worked uh, two summers at a camp in Michigan called Camp Blodgett. And Camp Blodgett is for underfunded youth throughout the state of Michigan. And the camper population is easily 65, 35, black to white. And the staff follow suit, probably even more so. It's more 75, 25 on the staff. And admittedly, the day I arrived, I was like, oh my goodness, I am a minority and good because that's healthy to feel that way. But as the summer went on, I, I made friendships like I did at every camp I've ever worked at. And by the end of the summer at night, the staff and, and I were having conversations like, what's it like to be a black man in the world right now? What's it like to be disabled in the world? What's one thing you would change if you could? What do you wish the other side knew that they seemingly don't? Like we were having real conversations. We talked about the N word together in love. We talked about those things that you're not supposed to say. So my long-winded point, sorry, short, is seek the positives in your difference. It's amazing to me when I set that table for anyone, 98% of the people sit down happily because they're being given an opportunity to talk about the things we all know we need to talk about, but no one's doing it in a positive way. So seek the positives in the difference. Learn from each other. Don't fear each other. You know, that's a natural instinct, but get past it and, and ask questions and get to know someone. Seek the positives. I think that's such a beautiful lesson for any life situation. You know, yeah. I think, I mean, you kind of touched on it. What we don't know, we're afraid of. And then we tend to judge. And, you know, I thought about this recently. Instead of spending so much of our mental energy judging and being afraid let's flip it and lean into it in a positive and loving manner and that's when change comes about and i think that's again such a beautiful illustration of what that looks like that so thank correct. you for sharing that yeah so the next one um which goes right along with it i think is to teach openness and authenticity mm. um so this is back to your earlier question the way that it's done is you know Every talk I ever give, be it a kindergarten class or a thousand adults in a room at a conference, somewhere during the, the talk, I take off my shoes, my leg braces, and my socks. And I wear shorts whenever I speak. And I walk through the audience. And they can see 
you know, when I'm wearing my braces, they keep my foot in a 90 degree angle because my the muscles that lift up your feet when you walk are the ones that are affected with my um, disability. And so when I take off my braces, my foot hangs down. I can't lift it up. So when I walk without my braces, I can walk, but it's not very stable. I have to lift up my whole leg and kind of flop down my feet. So the kids or the adults are used to seeing me throughout my talk walking semi-normally in my leg braces. And then all of a sudden I peel away those layers and show them. And the openness of that, without me even needing to say it, creates an openness in return. And I've never, never had a kid or an adult show any form of disrespect. They only show appreciation and gratitude that that curtain has been opened. And I always follow it up with what I just did, you need to do. Because my my talk when I go to schools is called Everyone Has Special Needs. It's not just that one class of kids over there. Every human being, kid or adult walking the face of the earth has things that challenge them that they have needs around. And those are their special needs. And so whatever it is that is your special need, you know, you have to take off, quote, your leg braces and show the world your feet. And that's hard. That's not easy. It took me, if you had told me I'd be doing that in front of a thousand adults when I was 15, I would have laughed in your face. But I've seen such positivity from it over the years that that's why I now no longer have a shy bone in my body because it's not worth it. We are here for such a short time. Know me, know me, good, bad, and otherwise. And let me know you, good, bad, and otherwise. And let's let's go down the road like that, authentically openly um yeah so that's number two it reminds me of um i think the book is the four agreements and one of the agreements is to never make assumptions mm. and i think kind of going back to your the two stories that you shared earlier i think in addition to being quick to judge we can be very quick to assume how we think others will respond to us or quick to assume just I don't know. We put our own assumptions about other people's lives, but yes. taking that away, um, gosh, it can just, it can, it can really be transformative. And I think it's just so eye opening and just really creates a much, I don't know, just a much more loving and open environment. And it's, I mean, from your stories, it, it changes people's perspectives and changes people's lives and changes the culture and the environment just bit by bit. So yeah. Yeah, my sister okay. always yeah. makes fun of me that I'll I'll go up to a total stranger. I met a friend of hers once years ago. And I literally started the conversation with, are you happy? Like that, that was my first question. I don't remember being premeditated about it, but she to this day makes fun of me for that because that's not the way my sister is. But I would much rather cut through the BS and just get right to it. Are you happy? And if the answer is no, tell me. Tell me why. Last year, um, tell me why. <laughs> In my head. Um, <laughs> last year in Orlando at the ACA conference, I was going up that escalator to the second floor. And you remember it was that super long escalator. Mm -hmm. And at the bottom, when I first got on, I realized I was standing awkwardly on the exact same step as this other woman. And I was so randomly in my Jonah way, I was like, you know, this could be the only time in our entire lives that we share space. Like, what are we going to do with it? We have this whole escalator ride. And she's like, you're right. What are we going to do with it? And we just started randomly throwing out questions to each other. And mind you, that's that's normalcy in, in ACA culture. But um, by the time we got to the top, she and I were like hugging it out and like had this amazing 
experience, and I feel that way with everyone I walk across, whether I'm in camp circumstance or not, is get to know someone for real, like, or, or don't waste time. I don't, I don't need to know, like, what do you do for a living? Like, you know, I just want to know what's going on with you. Like, tell me of you. Yeah. I also, I can't get over that. We just had a, a Backstreet Boys moment yes, on we this did. podcast. I'm, and yeah, as honestly, a sidebar, anybody listening, if anybody knows the Backstreet Boys, or if we know that they like went to camp or like whatever, you know, camp involvement, let's bring them on the podcast. Okay. Just, okay. Back to the conversation. All right. The third one, Jonah, is, is to offer encouragement. So that's, that's what I was talking about before is that we teach it during staff training. We, we decorate our camp with messages that remind everyone to be open and understanding of each other. We always give direct feedback when that doesn't happen. And when it does happen, we celebrate it. So we encourage when we see, because there's always a group of counselors or a group of campers who are really good at it and naturally take to it. When it happens, again, we'll jump on the radio. We teach our staff to jump on the radios and say, hey, y'all, we're at the climbing wall and a camper who is, has a big fear of heights just overcame their fear. And the lower girls just were so encouraging of them. We just want to give it up for the lower girl cabin. And everyone chimes in on the radios. Way to go, lower girls. That's how it's done at Footprint. Like, just amazing. So whether it be staff or camper, I just encourage everyone to be understanding. And I encourage everyone when I see that it's actually happened. You got to make a big deal out of it. Thanks for that. And you touched a little bit on this in the first um, Seek the Positive and Differences, but we want to build upon that a little bit and talk a little more about the point that you made in the article talking about the real world. And we don't usually talk about our differences in the real world, but in your perspective, sharing our differences is a way to learn from each other. So what would you say to those people who may feel hesitant about sharing their differences or asking others about theirs. You know, you talk about how this comes to you easily and that's incredible, but what about those folks who maybe haven't gotten to that place yet? What would you say mm -hmm. to them? Well, for the scientific minded folks out there of which I am not one who tend not to lean so quickly to the right brain of, of emotion, I would say, look at the data, just look around because we have a culture that is doing the exact opposite of what I'm preaching right now and look at the State of the Union. It's not, we're not in the best place we've ever been by a long shot. And that's because of fear. That's because of lack of understanding. The last election, I, I was intentionally seeking people who felt the opposite than me so I could talk to them. I posted it on Facebook, six or seven people that I knew who felt opposite than me reached out and we had great conversations. I didn't agree with a lick of what they said, but at least we were talking. And so, you know, I'm I'm a huge um, critic of cancel culture because it doesn't teach you anything. It makes it go away online, but it doesn't teach you anything. I'm a restorative justice guy, and I know a lot of us are, but if someone gets it wrong, like I've gotten it wrong, I've had people come to me and say, what you said rubbed me the wrong way. Even if I didn't mean to say it or or say it like that, I take the opportunity. We talk it through. We restore the connection. That's that's justice. I don't you know, I don't want anyone to say, "Ooh, Jonah said that be gone with him because that doesn't give me the opportunity to learn. And I'll never do that to someone else who happens to rub me the wrong way. Um, but, you know, I preach all the time that 
the best things in our life come when you're outside your comfort zone. You know, for me, inside the circle of my comfort zone is a couch on a Saturday watching movies, not getting dressed, ordering pizza. God bless my children, but they're both being cared for outside of the house. I've got a fire going like that to me is, but nothing good besides relaxation and peace comes to me during those times. The best times have come when I come out with my free hugs t-shirt and open my arms up to a group of strangers and end up finding my wife. The best times come for me at 3.30 a.m. last night when my daughter decided she was wide awake and having questions. And, you know, it was like I was miserable. And yet when we I finally just went and laid down in her bed and I was like, that's it. I'm just sleeping here because it's what she needed and it's what she got. And as we were falling asleep, I realized I was the happiest man on earth because I get to lay next to this adorable little kid and like that calms her and that's unbelievable. And so, you know, I just think if you're uncomfortable with sharing your challenges with others, good. It is uncomfortable. Then you're right where you're supposed to be. Don't let discomfort be the, the end all be all, you know, um, Courage is not the lack of fear. Courage is having fear and acting anyway. So I embrace the fear. I'm scared before I get up on stage to speak to a thousand people. Don't get me wrong, but I don't let that make me decide if or if not, I'm going to speak. I'm going to speak. I'm going to get through the fear. My encouragement is the same thing. Every step of the way, you know, one summer I wore jeans the entire summer in Maryland, 99 degree humid heat because I didn't want people seeing my leg braces. A counselor at the camp I, I ran challenged me on that and said, why are you wearing long pants? And I admitted why. And she said, you should try wearing shorts. And the next day I wore shorts and I was uncomfortable as hell the whole day. And I went home and I changed into jeans, even though I wasn't going to see anyone that night. I needed coverage. So I put jeans back on. And that's the only day I wore shorts that whole summer. The following summer, I wore shorts three times. This past summer, I wore shorts every day that it was hot. So it's a practice. It's not something that's a light switch. You have to practice it. So find where your current boundary of comfort zone is and take one step outside of it. Take a micro step. Progress is progress in my world, but don't ever let the fear or the discomfort determine it for you because I swear from the front lines, what is waiting for you on the other side of that fear that's holding you back is so worth it. And you will agree when you get there, because then you're not hiding. You're not living your life, keeping things in. You're living your life open. And how people react to it is on them. You know, I've had some people make fun of me in school or in the world from time to time. That's their issue far more than it's my own, you know? So be uncomfortable. It's okay, but get past it even one step at a time, because each time you do it, it'll be easier the next time. I promise you. Ooh, I don't know what um, kind of pep talk I needed this morning, but that was Aww. it. <laughs> Anytime. I loved that. Call me, dude. I'll, yes. I'll <laughs> no problem. Oh, wow. So, okay. As we look toward summer 2024 and beyond, what are some ways, and maybe it's going back to the trinity of inclusive camp success, but I think from uh, a very practical standpoint, what are some ways that camps can begin to rethink how they approach diversity and inclusion. Um, and I think this goes back to what you touched on earlier, which is that like a lot of organizations, they have these things in writing and they make mm. these really flowery, beautiful statements about how they're 
incorporating DEI, but what are some really practical ways that they and tangible steps that they can start to implement these changes and these practices? So I guess my first thought is always start in staff training. Um, don't wait for camp to begin to, to start thinking about these things. When you're planning your staff training, and I don't mean necessarily having this serious talk about DEI. What I do during staff training is I do what I just told you. Not as much with Camp Footprint, but all the other camps, because everyone in Camp Footprint understands leg braces and CMT, so that's no, no big thing to them. But just for the staff seeing me with my braces off and seeing my feet is healthy for them. It shows them I'm going to be open. I'm going to be who I am. I, I say things that maybe sometimes a camp director wouldn't say if they were being perfect camp director. And we all have a laugh during staff training. And I, I say to them, welcome to me. This is me. It's not perfect. I'm working on it, but welcome to me. Um, I have um, a counselor who is very versed in the gender trans fluidity world. And she runs that part of my training. I find people who can talk from experience. I don't preach on my own. Um, what staff of color or campers of color we do have, we use, blatantly use. And I am a huge proponent of that. It's not about don't single them out, single the hell out of them out with their permission and their family's permission, because it is understanding from them that leads you to better connect with others who are like them, who will then feel more comfortable at your program. I always start with the kid. I want to use your difference to help bring more people of your difference to our table. Is that okay with you? Yes? Okay, let's talk about how we might do that. Maybe you can do a video for camp. Maybe you can be included in the next meeting we have with our community partners who are helping us with this. You know, just trying your best to use what you do have to educate the rest. I think that's a really, really important one. And the the what I talked about before, celebrating it whenever it happens. Um, we choose to put posters up around camp that remind people what we're looking for from our culture. We um, have examples every year of the opposite of what we're looking for from our culture. And we deal with that head on, not in a cancel way. We sit the camper or campers down or the staff or staff members down and we explain to them, this is not the way that we do it at Camp Footprint. Here are some of the things we see that you could do to make this right. Here's your chance to get back in the game. And if you know that persists, that's a different story. But at first, it's about encouraging when it doesn't live up to the ideal, because it won't always start with the ideal. Um, and then the last thing I would say is to never, ever, ever minimize the importance of the bubble. We all know the camp bubble. We all understand that it is not necessarily exactly like the real world, quote unquote. I think it's a better way of life in the camp bubble. I think we all would agree with that. That's why we love it. But um, I have found over the years, not just with myself, but with my campers and my staff, that what happens in the camp bubble does tend to run over into the real world. And so I always see it that every summer, when we get to that day after the last day of camp and I'm taking my first true breath, I always think to myself, that's another 80 campers per week and 75 or so staff members per week that we're sending back out into the world knowing how it should be done. 
hopefully practicing how it should be done. We talk to our kids all the time about getting up at their schools. Get up at your school and teach your peers about your disability. Get up in your classroom or at the auditorium at an assembly and, and give a five minute talk about it. Give the kids the understanding and you will find that most kids will then be way better to you because they get it, they understand it. I didn't do that when I was a kid. It's extremely hard, but now I see that's exactly what you should do. I've gone to several schools with campers and I'll get up on stage with them and, and help them to teach their classmates about it and to be blunt. So classmates, please don't make fun of me because there's nothing I can do about this. That hurts my feelings. What I need from you is A, B, C, D, and E. And then it's on them, right? Like, so I just think it's important to not minimize the bubble as kind of this Petri dish to grow truth, respect, and inclusion, and then intentionally and encourage, especially the last day of camp. I always talk to the kids about take this feeling you have right now of being your authentic self, of feeling like you can because of the way you were treated and go make that happen in the hallways of your school or in your youth groups or in your families. Like go out and, and spread this. I always say like cream cheese on a bagel because I'm Jewish. So there you go. <laughs> cream cheese on a bagel and add locks, please. And yeah, thank you. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know if I was a real, real Jew, I would put locks on, but locks creep me out a little bit. But Oh, I I'm learned something new. It. Okay. I'm working on it. <laughs> it, it. It could be a texture thing, right? Yeah, I have I have very bad texture issues. You'll read about that in one of my books. <laughs> um, so we've got two more questions for you. Sure. And actually, we are getting to the part where we should learn more about your books, but not quite. No um, but I would love to hear about more about Camp Footprint. And how do you see these lessons played out amongst your own campers and staff? I know you've shared some examples, but mm -hmm. is there any one that sticks out that you'd like to share about? So I guess the biggest um, way that I see it play out, the way I always explain it in advance of camp or to new families or staff is that imagine being the kid with a disability. Most of the campers that come to Camp Footprint, most of the youth in our organization are the only one with CMT in their group of friends. Uh, there's a good chunk of them who are called spontane spontaneous mutations who are the only one in their family with CMT. They don't even have parents or siblings to to lean on and so they're alone and i don't know that they even always consciously realize how much they protect themselves when they're when you're the only one and when you're young it's not your instinct to let it out it's your instinct to be like everyone else so you cover it up and then you take that very kid and you put them in a situation where again we have a, a week in the east in august and a week in the west in june you put them with 79 other campers and a vast majority of our staff who not only understand their most personal struggles without them having to say one word, but are completely cool about it. Like they, they need nothing from the kid, but to relax. And as soon as the kids see that they are surrounded by others who get it, they don't need to be told that they get it. They just know by looking around that, okay, I'm with my people, they relax they become just a kid. Now, look, I don't, I have never given much weight or priority to the idea of being normal because I don't think it's a great thing to be normal. Most of the people I adore in this world, myself and my wife included, are very abnormal. 
But I think when you are used to being the other one or the one who has this, that, or the other, there is something pretty magical about a week receiving the gift of normalcy, of just being a kid. You don't have to be the kid with a disability. You can just be a kid. And what happens when kids are gifted that after most of their lives of not realizing that they didn't have it is so magical. I, the poet in me can't put words to it. It's like, it's just magic. Kids accept each other. And I always say this, it sounds weird, but the so-called cool kids and the so-called not cool kids connect and get along in camp. It's, it's a, a sample of the ideal. It's pretty, pretty magical. And so um, Camp Footprint, out of all the camps that I've been a part of, is the most special. And that's saying something because I've been a part of very special programs. But there's something about um, helping kids who you know what they're going through. These are kids who are of my tribe. And it's it's beyond magic to get to play a part in helping them to come out of their shell and leave camp with a brand new feeling. So the one example you were asking for before is there was a kid this past summer who the first day at the airport when we pick up the kids, looked down, had the hood over his head and wouldn't look at us, much less talk to us. He said two or three things under his breath the entire day. And I was like, great, this is gonna be the kid who's gonna be the challenge and we're gonna have to work on this kid. And the magic that I'm speaking of happened for this kid. It doesn't always, but it often does. And day by day, you could see him less and less hiding or leaning down and more and more open. We do a thing before every meal now um, that we ask a kid to stand up or a counselor to stand up and say one thing they're grateful for. It's this new gratitude push at our camp. And on the last day of camp, that kid raised his hand. I couldn't believe it. And I was like, do it, my man. And he got up on the mic and he gave a speech that, oh man, it was unreal about he's grateful for this camp and this group of people who helped him to see that he can be proud of his CMT, like mind blowing stuff. And so that's not um, special just to footprint. Any camp can have that. You just have to prioritize it amidst your leadership. You have to be very thoughtful about how you teach it to your staff during training. And you have to be very intentional about backing that up during your days of camp. Um, and if anyone ever wants to chat about that or brainstorm for your own camp, by all means, let me know. Um, I've spoken at a lot of camp trainings. Staff trainings will bring me in sometimes. And it's it's so easy because if you're at camp 90% of the time, you're already ready for it. You just might not have experience with inclusion. So it's like it's it's not a, a brain surgery concept. It just needs to be intentional. Ooh, that story gave me chills. And I just I think yeah. it speaks so, so beautifully to don't underestimate the power of these practices, these yeah. um these tiny little shifts that maybe you can't see them making a change in the moment, but just knowing that they do. And sometimes it takes a while um, to actually see it, but it, it's making a difference nonetheless. So thank 100%. you. hundred percent. I will also just lastly say that you don't need to be a camp that serves kids with disabilities to practice inclusion. Because like I said, every single kid at every single camp um, has something going on that they're trying to hide because it makes them different. These are things that are universal to the human experience, not just to those with a physical disability. That's one branch 
of a very large tree. Yeah, absolutely. So before we wrap up here, tell us briefly about your books and then um, any other ways that uh, people can learn more, whether it's about CMT, whether it's about uh, Camp Footprint, anything else that you'd like to share? Awesome. Well, the two books that I've written, um, He Walks Like a Cowboy is my first book, came out in 2007, and it traces my life from little kid to adult. Um adjusting to and learning to live with and and rock and roll with a disability or a difference and um really proud of that book it it is it is blatantly honest and open and i always say that it's a great tool if you're someone who's trying to deal with a difference or has someone in your life that you care about who has a difference and you're not sure how to navigate it with them this is a great book to get you on your way and it's it's told through story that's i'm a big storyteller so it's uh it's not boring there's one chapter that's boring because it's all about the science of what i have but the rest are i think pretty interesting there's a chapter in there where all of my friends and relatives write in about their experience with my disability and I, I find that a fascinating example to hear from the people in your life. What would they say about how you deal with your challenges? I got the chance to find out and then publish it. It was interesting. And then the second book I wrote years later, it came out two years ago called The Strangest of Places. And I have just always been a journaler and I, I write down the stories of my life when they happen to me. And I don't think that, I think everyone could write a book of their top stories and I would love most of those books, but I've had a, a decent handful of pretty miraculous things happen in my life. There's just no other way to put it. And the combination of that with my writing style of being able to translate what happens in my life, but what I learned from what happens in my life to others, I think made for a really incredible book. I am I am profoundly proud of The Strangest of Places. I think it is a wonderful read and will inspire you and make you laugh and make you cry and like reinforce this idea of just keep your eyes and mind wide open because some of the most amazing things that have ever happened in my life happen you know amidst the most normal of circumstances and yet these are the 15 or 17 stories that have built my life and changed my life and made me who I am and so um, both are available on Amazon. You'll type in Jonah Berger and this redheaded curly kid will come up. He's been chasing me my whole life. He's there is another Jonah Berger. He's red, curly haired, and he has written about 48 books on the psychology of business and economics. And he every time you type in Jonah Berger, he comes up first. But if you scroll a little bit, you'll see he walks like a cowboy in the, the strangest of places, um, both available there. My website is The Rhythm Within. That's the that's my company that I do all my speaking through. Rhythm is spelled funky, so you'll have to look it up. But www.therhythm, R-H-Y-T-H-M within.com, Jonah at therhythmwithin.com. You guys are welcome to put my cell number on this thing. I'm just, I'm always around to chat about any of these things. If anyone just feels like they want some someone to bounce these things off of, I'm always available to speak, to do in-service, to speak to kids, to speak to staff. Um, holler at me. Let's talk about the possibilities. I'd love it. Awesome. And we will include all those links in the show notes. So Perfect. Um, yeah. And we'll also include the link to your article so people can go check that out as well. Wonderful. So 
Jonah, thank you so much for being here today. This conversation, oh, I, I've just loved it. It's been so oh. insightful and so eye-opening. Um, and I know our listeners are going to get so much out of this. So thank you again. You're so welcome. Love you both and love this community beyond measure. Just go camp, man. Go, go camp. camp. And as always, thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode of the Campwire podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to everything that we talked about in this incredible discussion. And if you're not subscribed already to the podcast, we highly encourage that you do so so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. As always, you can follow the American Camp Association across social media platforms at 